Continuing on, the person who acknowledges the person and the ministry of Christ, he has the Father, okay, and the Son. Now he says, if anyone comes to you, he's talking about false teachers, Judaizers, uh, heretics. If anyone comes into your gathering or to you and does not bring this teaching, do not receive him into your house nor greet him. You do not put a Christian blessing on his ministry. You do not fellowship with him because he's a heretic or he's a false teacher. Mm-hmm. Verse 7 says he's a deceiver. He's an antichrist who does not recognize that Jesus Christ came in humanity. Okay? Some didn't believe that. Okay? said, do not receive him into your house. You're not to show Christian hospitality. Now, at this time he's writing, when you had traveling evangelists and ministers, the church, the body of Christ, which was no real church, there were homes, there weren't no building. You invited them and you showed hospitality and provided a place to stay and fed them while they ministered. So they were used to doing that. But he says, if one comes and does not recognize this, he says, don't let him in your house. Don't show Christian hospitality to him because you were showing him he's in an error and you cannot have fellowship with him. And then he gives you a strong warning and people don't take it seriously. For he who greets him shares in his evil deeds. So if you give him Christian hospitality and fellowship as a Christian, you side it with the devil. And what did Paul said? What fellowship as a Christian with Baal or the false devils? What fellowship as truth with a lie? None. The Lord said, come out from among that. So he's saying, this is the kind of hospitality you do not show. You can show hospitality to a sinner and to a person that's out and down, and you can help them and feed them, but not to a person who's supposedly expounding the truth and the word. You'd have nothing to do with them. Uh Paul said, you warn a heretic two or three times, and you separate the word too, it means you excommunicate. You have nothing to do with them because God doesn't have nothing to do with them as far as favor. He considers them enemies of Christ, okay? You'll share in his evil doctrines, his false doctrines, by supporting them. So in general, it means anybody who's off on a major, a false denomination, someone teaching something that is basically, plainly, unscriptural and not at the foundation of Christianity. That will send ministers to hell. You can be off on one main thing. People say, well, that don't matter. Well, let me tell you, you can live righteously like the rich young ruler and everything. But the Lord said, but you lack one thing, sell everything. He had a love for money. He was covetous. So I know a teacher could teach excellent. This was many, 30, 40 years ago. And he was eventually put out, and he was probably one of the best teachers in the area because I found out he was having an affair with another so-called Christian for two years. Well, he was on his way to hell. He was lost. He wasn't a Christian. He was living in adultery. We're talking about someone who falls into sin and gets out. He was living in it. 
And Paul said, if you practice adultery, and he named many, you will not inherit the kingdom of God. And he told them, throw these people out. They won't repent and conform. He said, get rid of them. And he was one of the best teachers I'd heard. Shows you how the devil goes after, he picks a high person sometime to, he don't pick often a novice. He wants someone that can disturb other Christians and shake their foundation a little bit, okay? So we say what? Verse 13. And not only are you to honor him, the teachers, the ministers, the pastors that are really ministering. I'm not talking about a denomination. They're all of man, and most of them are false and built on false words. They emphasize two or three scriptures and get all the rest of scripture. Their denominational slant is idolatry. You're to preach the whole word of God and the whole counsel of Christ. Okay? So what is he saying? And that you esteem them, honor them very highly in love because of their work, their ministry. Uh-huh. Not because of their person, their personality, uh, that you like them. It has nothing to do with it. The Corinthians are someone considered Paul rude and base, and they'd rather have Apollos and other flabbergant teachers. They had a problem with Paul, see, because he didn't measure up to their carnality, their worldliness, okay? Then he says, live in peace with one another, okay? So these teachers, these ministers, these elders should hallowed be guarded as called of Christ. They're teachers. They're to give you sound doctrine, sound scripture. They're to guard over your souls. They're to admonish you, warn you, exhort you. And people that don't get this and don't want it will not last long. They'll be led into error. And even if they're intellectual and brilliant, the Holy Spirit will keep wisdom from them. They won't have spiritual wisdom. Jesus said he thanked the Father for hiding this from the Pharisees and the scribe. He says, I think you've had this wisdom and revealed it to the simple. See, intellect has very little to do with spirituality. Whether you're not that smart or you are, it's to come under uh, the Lord's inspection. He's not interested. You have no more advantage of being an intellectual than a common person. Actually, they have a better advantage because they don't have to deal with pride and arrogance and what the world thinks of them and draws them back into the world system. Okay, That's why Paul said, we are unknown. We're not popular with the world but we're well-known, okay? So that's what he said. And Jesus said, be careful. He's talking to the Jewish people and his apostles. When men speak well of you, he said, for they did so of the false prophets. And we know where they ended up. See, they wanted to please people and like the day, and they flattered people and listened to what they want to hear, make them feel good even if they're in sin. Oh, God loves you unconditionally. All of these lies and they don't rightly handle the word of God. But the people want it, so they're responsible for it too. Okay, So it's because of their teaching ministry that to teach you God's word and will. You are not being a respecter of persons, but a respecter of ministry and calling. So when people say we're all the same, we're all, they're ignorant. They're the kind that James says you shouldn't be a teacher. Keep your mouth shut because you're foolish. 
You don't know nothing. They didn't mind reproving them and correcting them. They didn't pacify these people. Even Jesus, several times, they disciples didn't want to ask him something because he rebuked them. He said, how long have I been with you and you haven't learned anything? He made them uncomfortable because he expected more out of them. So he wasn't always gentle, sweet, and loving. He was strict with them at times, and he reproved them. And when Peter said, don't go to the cross because he loved the Lord, the Lord looked at him and said, get behind me, Satan. And that must have shocked Peter. He says, you don't discern the things of God, but what's a man? The devil used Peter's emotions and feelings for Jesus, his humanity. He said, I don't want you to go to the cross. And Jesus is thinking, then mankind will die and go to hell if I don't. See? So he wouldn't let human sentimentality get in the way of doing God's work. So we are all equal in Christ as far as being children of the Lord. He said, there's neither bond nor free, Gentile or Jew, male or female. We are all spiritually the children of the Lord. But he's placed us in different positions, different callings, and some have higher responsibility and authority than others do. And so don't ever think you're equal to other people's ministry. You're arrogant and you're on your way for a fall. Live at peace and unity in these ministries and callings, okay? You're not to envy or be jealous of other authority and standing. There is no competition between spiritual Christians. If it is, it's of the devil. They're competing with, they're of the world. They have no business being in that position. Again, Paul would say, you're foolish. You should keep your mouth shut and don't teach until you know something. He didn't put up with it. Uh But when you have envy, even Paul recognized there were those who were preaching the gospel to irritate Paul and to cause problems for him. But they did preach the gospel. And he said, well, nevertheless, the gospel's preached, even if their motive is wrong. Well, some people can teach and preach the truth, but they're not living it. And they're covetous and greedy, but they can teach. Uh The good con artists, what do you think their damnation is going to be? Jesus said the hypocrite will receive the greater. I think the greatest damnation is going to the false teachers and the hypocrites that profess to speak for God when they actually speak for the devil. Okay? So remember, instead of being jealous, and shouldn't even think that way, those who have higher calling and more authority in their gifts or ministries, then God and man expects more, and ultimately they'll be chastened more if they're not faithful. And that's why Paul said, rebuke the elders before everybody if they sin. They're not a novice. They're not a baby. They should know better. And James could say, you foolish ones, don't you dare teach. You're teaching garbage. You don't even know the word of God. So he didn't, he didn't fool around with it either, okay? That they're going to answer for more. They're going to come under a stricter judgment if they're not faithful to their calling. Paul, even if Paul, Paul, he said, I'm called an apostle, a preacher, and teacher. And he also said, and woe unto me if I preach not the gospel. He said, if I do it willingly, I get a reward. But if I don't, I have to do it anyway. Well, 
That's God's prerogative. He said the same thing to Moses. Moses said, well, I can't speak well, and, I do, and I've already been through trouble with the Egyptians 40 years ago. And God conceded a little bit. He said, well, okay, I'll make Aaron your prophet, but you will go. And he was trying to get out of it. And he said that the Lord was angry with him. See, it wasn't a voting matter. It wasn't, oh, I don't want to do this. He said, you're my servant and slave. You'll do what I tell you to do or you'll rebel and I'll punish you. So Moses learned real quickly. He wasn't asked to vote on something, okay? The Lord is Lord or he's not, plain and simple. If he's not going to be obeyed, then Jesus said, then why call me Lord, Lord, if you're not going to do what I tell you? It's because you're not his and he's not your Lord. He's making it plain. So people need to understand that and don't forget that. And God's love unconditionally is not going to cover that because there's no scripture that speaks that. Jesus said, if you deny me before men, I'll deny you before God and his angel. He didn't say, I'll love you continually and get you into heaven. He said, if you don't love the Lord thy God first, you won't make it. You have duty to him. He said, he's a jealous God. That's one of his names. And he will not have any other thing put before him if a person professes to be a Christian, he's not going to tolerate it, okay? So he that is given much will answer for much. So people ought to not be readily asking for various ministries that they're not qualified for. See, they do that because of pride. Novices will do that, and you have to correct them. They want to be seen. They want to be thought to be important. See, because they've still got the natural mind. They want to build their self-esteem. There is no self-esteem in Christ. That's all garbage. He's going to put to death that self-esteem, and your esteem is going to be tied up in Christ and his relationship, not in your worldliness and who you are. He don't care. If it's not submitted to him, it has no value to him. Verse 14. We urge you, employ you. The word is admonish. Brethren, admonish the unruly. Uh-huh. Encourage the faint-hearted. Help the weak and be patient with everyone. It means to be a long-suffering. Well, we'll go back, okay? We encourage you, brethren, to admonish the unruly. Uh, this is is a sharper word used. It's a correct word. It's like James saying, you're foolish. You have no business. Don't seek to be a teacher. And it does affect the person's pride, but it's meant to. God isn't worried about your pride. He's worried about what you stay in. And if you keep living in pride, he's going to have a problem with you. Uh-huh. He always has. Okay. Unruly. In the fellowship, uh, those who like to fight and debate over frivolous things just for argument's sake, that's a bad spirit. Fault finders, looking for every little minor detail and perfection, they're going to be in trouble. They emphasize the non-essentials. Well, we shouldn't eat this, we shouldn't eat that, uh, we should do this, we should do These are non-essentials. That Paul says the mature have liberty that the immature don't. And the mature Christian can do things, and we're not talking about sins. 
that weaker Christians think is wrong because their conscience is not enlightened. But he says, you don't do it in front of them. You don't provoke them and stir them up. For love's sake, you forbear. They think it's bad for you to drink wine. They don't have a drink in front of them. But it doesn't mean that you can't go home and have a glass of wine. He doesn't strike out at drinking wine. He strikes out at getting drunk. And if you get drunk, often enough, you're a drunkard. And no drunkard's going to enter the kingdom of heaven. Okay? So all things in moderation. Paul said, all things are pure to those who esteem. He's talking about outward things. He's not talking about gross sin. All the gross sins are always gross sin under every covenant. Your conscience is going to never tell you it's okay to steal from people. Oh, I've heard people tell me that. Well, we weren't treated right when we were in certain positions, so we should have got a raise and we didn't, so we steal stuff because they owe us. Well, you're a thief and you're going to hell. That's what you're going to get, okay? So busybodies, gossipers and such, you're to warn them. Admonish means to gently warn. But if that does not work, you deal with them sharper. And if that doesn't work, you remove them from the fellowship. You separate them from you. You say, God's not in this anymore. He's not fellowshipping with you. We're not going to. We're not going to approve you as being a sound Christian. Okay? So we see that Paul, in talking to the Corinthians, he was very agitated with certain things, and he says, I'm coming, and I've told you certain things, I expect you to repent and deal with them. And then he asks him a question, shall I come to you with love and gentleness, or shall I come with sharpness and bring a sword? He had the power to turn them over to the devil for diseases and stuff. That was an apostolic, basically, privilege. And he said, you'll find out what kind of power I have. He wasn't going to debate with them. You'll find out the power that's in me. As an apostle, he had the authority to do certain things that the normal Christian didn't do. So he warned them. I've already told you what needs to be corrected. You either correct it or I'll deal with it more seriously. I'll come with sharpness. And he turned some over and they died of wasted diseases until they repented. And they still died, many of them. Okay, He said, many of you are sick and die. Mm-hmm. Well, that's a dangerous thing, isn't it? Uh-huh. Encourage the faint-hearted, the weak, and who may have an uh, oversensitive conscience, hasn't matured enough. That's why he warned them when some of the Jews that were thrown out of the synagogue came to the Gentile fellowships that Paul had began and incurred, they still upheld many of their Jewish rituals. And they couldn't eat this meat, and they couldn't eat that. And the Gentiles, they figured they could eat anything. And so sometimes they would get on them and say, you need to eat. But Paul said, you don't do that. He said, their conscience is still weak. Until they are instructed out of the word and see the truth, they shouldn't be doing something they feel is wrong. Paul said, whatever is not of faith is sin. So even if they stop all that and live like you, they're sinning before God because they don't have faith or assurance. They have not been properly enlightened and saw the word of God. So if a Christian does something 
or doesn't do something, he better be sure that it's the Lord or don't do it. He may find out later, oh, I could have done this. I just wasn't mature enough to understand, to rightly handle the word of God, to know good from evil. And so he warned both sides. You don't bother them, and they don't. And when you're with them, Paul said, "If I'm with the Jews, he said I would uh, a Christian a Jew. He said uh, I'd never eat something in front of them ever if it cost them their spirituality and their walk with Christ." But he meant in front of them, because later he says, "Why should my liberty be judged of the person that has a weak conscience?" So I'm not going to be brought under their conscience. So it works both ways. Okay. So his basis say, live and let live. If they're not in gross sin, don't get too involved. If they say, oh, I have to go to church on Sunday, well, most Christians believe that. I don't believe that. I believe every day is the same. But I'm not going to tell them you shouldn't do it. We can meet on any day we want. The spiritual Sabbath, we're living it. It's a spiritual thing. It's not. Uh, Paul said, I'm afraid of you that observe months and moons and Sabbaths and uh, you're being brought back under the Galatians, he said, you're being brought back under Judaism. And that's when he said, I'm praying that Christ is formed in you again. You need to be saved again. You've gone back to Judaism. You're trusting in the law instead of Christ. Okay. So those who are weak, faint-hearted, okay, oversensitive conscience, not poor self-esteem. Well, that's just fleshly anyway. We are to die to that. Christ help us and teach us what? His worth in him. Our relationships with him, not the world. The world's going to hate us. Most professing Christians are going to hate us. So if you have poor self-esteem, you're not going to make it. You should be dead to your esteem. Your esteem is in Christ, okay? Christ in you, the hope of glory, okay? Help the weak, those not grounded in God's word. Help those who are mentally not up to it. Some, and we recognize, have brain damage or mentally damaged. We have to be careful. You're never going to see much progress, but you still have to love them. You still have to help them and consider them. And so we're careful not to use words, especially around non-Christians or anybody. We don't use words referring to them. As morons or imbeciles or idiots or retarded, we help and understand their position. Okay, so they're crippled in their mind. They're like a blind person. You help them. You don't stick your foot out and trip them. You do what you can, for that's a part of the curse that passes down to the children, to many generations. It's a part of their damnic nature that people have, and it expresses itself in various ways. So some people are born that way. And God considers all that in his dealings, okay? So we are to be patient, long-suffering. Long-suffering means suffer long, because some of the problems aren't going to change. Even poor Christians, a lot poor, we, we talk about those that don't even have food and raiment sometimes in certain areas, we're not to show superiority to. We're not to think we're special to. God may put you in their position. Uh-huh. 
So you better be very careful. I hear Christians say, well, the poor you have with you always. Then you're responsible for them always, especially those that are in Christ. And if you don't, James says, you don't have the Christian faith and you're not going to make it. He said, uh, so you say all these spiritual words, but you don't help them and you don't do what you can when it's in your immediate state to do this or your spirit warns you to. He said, is that going to save you? He said, no, you don't have true Christianity because you don't love your brother. And John said, he that does not love his brother in Christ is a murderer. And you know, no murderer hath eternal life in him. Oh, John makes it very plain, don't he? People can argue theology all they want. So if we have the poor with us always, that does not lessen our duty to help them. Well, God may have given you the ministry of giving and mercies for that reason. Some people are gifted higher and they have more tolerance. It's a gift. But all Christians ought to be patient and long-suffering and do things for people when we can. So it does not lessen our duty. And James basically says in James 2.14, he questioned whether you were a Christian. He said your faith was worthless and dead. That's what he was talking about. Not your particular faith, the faith of Christianity. He says, you don't give them nothing to help them, but you pray over them, tell them that God will bless them. Sounds like the prosperity doctrine, doesn't it? Uh We can help all, anybody. That's what Christ did. The word said he was, God was good to the evil and unthankful. So at times when I'm giving money to certain people, I figured out later they were con artists. Well, I said, well, that don't bother me. God will take care of it when he's ready. Day of judgment. They'll never get away with it. But if you don't have no particular guidance, the general rule is you help people. And he said, especially of the household of God. You have more of a duty to the poor Christian in need than you do to the world. That's what James implied. So he said, if you're ever in between the two and have to choose, you choose the Christian, not the sinner, if you have to, okay? People walk all over the saint because they want to get a sinner saved. That sinner is a child of the devil, and it's God's grace that he's going to work with them. But he is not in God's covenant, and he has to have no special relationship like the Christian does. And Jesus, at the great judgment of the world, He's going to judge them on the basis of what you did to my servants. He'll say, you did not visit me, help me. And the world's going to say, we didn't know. He said, whatever you didn't do for them, you didn't do for me. And he's going to tell the Christians, you're blessed. And they'll ask like in naiveness, they weren't counting everything they did. When do we do that? He said, when you did it to the brethren. That's going to be the last judgments. One of the last, okay? When God pours out the most wrath during the tribulation period, it's going to be because they killed the saints and the prophets. That's the main reason. Okay. Okay, in verse 15, see that no one repays another with evil for evil, but always seek after that which is good for one another and for all people. Okay, so that's the general plan, like I've said before, and people say, 
It's normal humanity, normal humanity, to repay good for good and evil for evil. People are just like that. It's godly to repay evil with goodness. You help them anyway, whether you see or not. You say, well, God is good to the evil and unthankful. That's what I remind myself at times when I think someone needs help, whether they're being a con artist or not. Uh huh. But it's demonic to return evil for good. Uh-huh. And that's true. Uh-huh. And so we need to understand that. So the Christian is to act as Christ would act. Now, let me get something straight. This bothers people. He's talking about the world as a whole and one another. Now, in the world, we allow them to do things so we don't retaliate. We don't take vengeance. But if a Christian does it, you rebuke him. And if he don't repent, you put him out. That's what Jesus said. You are not automatically required to forgive everybody, everything they do. And why would Paul say, give place for wrath? God said, I'll avenge. He says, when the wicked person does something to a Christian, didn't say we have to forgive him. Means we don't go after him. We can pray for him. We can forgive as far as we're concerned. It ain't worth it. But God doesn't. He remembers everything they did every idle word. And if they don't turn to the Lord, they're going to answer for it, especially for what they did to Christians. Mm-hmm. They give place to wrath. You leave it alone. But he said, if your brother sins and you try to make amends and he won't do it, he's in the church, the fellowship, to put him out. Have enough to do with him. You acting like a sinner, we're going to treat you like a sinner. Uh-huh. So that's why John said, if you hate your brother, that means you won't forgive him and you're bitter for whatever reasons. If he's repentant and apologized, then you have to forgive him. And if he does it again, you rebuke him again. It doesn't mean they can't be chastened over certain issues. They can. The church can chasten and punish. But you have to forgive. You discipline your child, you may forgive but he's still going to get disciplined. You're not going to forget it because he's not going to learn nothing. But you don't hold him fully accountable. You're trying to train him to live right. And sometimes a spanking on a butt works better than talking. They'll remember that better. Okay, That's why Hebrews says the chastening of the Lord is grievous. It inflicts pain and sorrow. It says God does this. And what reason? He wants you to stop your problem and get out of it, because if you don't, you're going to hell. He said, because if you don't, without holiness, no man's going to see the Lord. That's the purpose, is for you to stop being disobedient, and if you persist in it, eventually you'll be cut off. You'll not be in Christ. He that is often reproved stiffens his neck. He gets arrogant, stubborn, and willful against God. And he said, and he will be cut off without remedy. You see, the person that won't take correction, he does what Hebrews says, don't despise. He said, be careful not to despise the chastening. It's not pleasant. A child does not like to be spanked or punished, but it has a purpose. And so God does the same thing. And they'll either stop the sinning or the problem, or they'll get out. And that's God's intention. If you're not going to submit to my lordship 
and you're rebellious, then you go back to the devil's kingdom, but you're not in mine. For without holiness, no man. And it says this chastening produces the peaceful fruit of righteousness. It brings results. Confessing Christ as your righteousness don't mean nothing if you're not living righteously. John said, work righteously. He didn't say believe righteously. He said, he that works righteous is of God, and he that does not is of the devil. Makes it very plain. And so the Lord says, I'm going to deal with mine. And they're going to be corrected and changed to a degree, or they're going to be cut off from Christ. See, people need to know that. He ain't going to love them unconditionally. That don't work. That's man's theology. It's not God's. Everybody talks about the love of God, the love of God. The majority of mankind is going to the lake of fire because they refuse in their conscience and their life to submit to God. And even though he says, not my will, any perish, but all repent, most of them aren't going to. And that's their responsibility. Uh-huh. So if most people are going there, you should be preaching more about God's holiness and justice than God loving them how they are. He doesn't. See, it's a misconception. That's why John said, you say you love God, you don't keep his word. He says, you're a liar, and the truth's not in you. And if you're a liar, you're a child of the devil. And one sin God hates particularly. In the Old Testament, he dealt with fornication and idolatry swifter than others. But in Revelations, the last sin mentioned and emphasize is liars. He names these sins, and he says that all liars shall find their position in the lake of fire. God detests lying. He is the spirit of truth, and he hates lying, half-truths, telling the truth to someone but misguiding them to think something else. That's lying, okay? So in evil, we're to be careful not to go back into the world's way of dealing with things. So we return good to your Christian brother and basically the world. And They were known not to be troublemakers, the early Christians. Even though people didn't like their Christianity, they said they were not troublemakers. They were not rioters. They were not busybodies. The world recognized that. They didn't cause problems like most people did, okay? Okay, go to Romans real quickly. Romans 12, 17 and 18. Repay no one evil for evil. See, if they do, we're supposed to turn it over to God. If we're his servant, his child, and his slave, and he chooses to let them abuse us, and we're to rejoice in the Lord. We're to take it as if it's the Lord in us, which it is, okay? So we're repaying no one evil for evil. Have regard for all good things in the sight of all men. Look at the better and not worry too much. Don't let them provoke you and drag you down to their level. If it is possible, as much as depends on you, live peaceably with all men. We can't live peaceably with all men because the world hates us. But it means as far as you're concerned, don't stir up trouble. Don't retaliate. Don't get into that system. Leave it to God to handle. Okay? He'll take care of it. 
Okay. So he says, do not avenge yourselves. Give place to wrath. For it is written, vengeance is mine. I will repay. See, God doesn't forgive everybody. And the Christian can't forgive everybody. As far as God is concerned, they can let it go in their personal life. They have to with a real Christian. Oh, most people claim to be Christians. I don't accept that. They're of the world, so I deal with them differently. Heretic, they don't care what they say. Their actions prove their faults. But he said, if it's a real, genuine Christian, and you believe he's a Christian, then you can't hold stuff against him if he repent. And if he don't repent, if it's something petty, don't worry about it. Leave it. Let it go. But if it's something important, Jesus said, rebuke him. You go at him and you tell him and you can be angry. He says, be angry and so not. You tell him you're offended and that's unchristian-like and you ought to straighten up. That's what Paul did to him. That's what James did. And he says that if they repent, forgive them. Okay? He made it very simple. Nowadays, many people, they don't forgive. They say, oh, I forgive them, and they're liars. They gossip. They talk about it. They don't let go of Well, I'll forgive them. You know, it's like a hatchet. I'll hit them in the head with a hatchet. I'll forgive it, but I'll leave the handle up in case I need it again. And see, that's what the problem Peter had. This guy was provoking him. Seven times, he said, what means perfection. Didn't mean he did the same sin seven times because they can deal with him more strictly on that. But he said, you keep doing it. But he didn't tell Peter, you can't reprove him. You can't correct him. And if it's within your means, you can discipline him and do things that he'll learn not to sin. So we're not in a slave to the world and the wicked, and God will avenge at the day of judgment. They don't come to the Lord not one thing is going to be overlooked. Okay, one more scripture. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. Let's stop here. Lord, give us practical application. Give us guidance to apply these principles in our daily life. In Jesus' name, amen.